0: Hey guys, what's going on? Happy New Year, everybody! All right, it's 2022. I'm excited for this year. It's a great year. I'm excited because this is, I think, the first out of uh, many of the 10 years we've been here that we've planned very long for this year. Usually the planning for for the year is like maybe a month prior to the year beginning. But this year, I think we, uh, we took a long time in our planning for 2022. So I'm really excited to see or oh, what God is going to be doing in and through us this year. I know it's starting off with another bout and round of COVID, all right? But it's all right. So if you caught it at home and you're there, you know, we love you. Uh, it's going to suck for about a few days. Embrace it, right? Embrace it. And then get over it, okay? <laughs> because, you know, l- l- let me tell you guys, we can't let it dictate and uh, dominate our lives anymore, especially or especially. Our Christian walk with the Lord, right? And you know firsthand what it did to your personal relationship with Christ in 2020 when um, we closed down our doors. It took a whole year of seeking uh, to restore, to get us back into this rhythm of what we, uh, we're doing now. So don't get me wrong, you know, I'm, I'm all about safety, all right? I, I, I want safety. I want That's why we have the, op- the option of worshiping online. If you're feeling under the weather, uh, If you're home, if you're feeling the weather to stay home, watch us and be a part of the service here. And if you're home, thank you for joining us. Give me a thumbs up. But these doors are not ever going to close again, okay? It's not for this because God is still on his throne. Sin is still the number one killer of humanity, and the gospel is still the only cure. Amen? Amen? Amen. Right? So the theme for this year, 2022, is Rooted in Christ, a Year of Christ-Centered Growth. You know, all of our leaders, we got together, we prayed together, we've been, you know, seeking for um, just vision and direction of where we're going to be going in 2022 and and where we really kind of just landed, what God kind of just placed on our heart is this picture of being rooted, right? When you are rooted in good soil, what comes out of that is flourishing and growth. And we hope and we pray that we want to see you fulfill the destiny and the purpose that God has in store for you. Make no mistake, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there is a purpose and there is a destiny for your life, okay? There's a reason for you to be here. And a lot of us, we have a hard time finding that reason, don't we? We, have a, we, we constantly are chasing after a a, a way to, to get some sort of reason. We chase after our ambitions, our friends. We root ourselves in our, in our career, our relationships, our future, our, um, our vanity, our money, right? And we're still chasing and chasing because if you're not rooted in Christ, then, then the only conclusion you have when you're rooted in something else is ultimately asking the question, what am I doing with my life? Because you can only chase after a relationship for so long and then you start asking the question, what am I doing with my life? You can only chase after a career for so long and then ask the question, what am I doing with my life? You can only chase after money for so long and then still ask the question, what am I doing with my life? My prayer, my hope for TLC for 2022 is that we find ourselves rooted in Christ so that our purpose and our trajectory and our destiny can be fulfilled. But here's the thing. Before purpose, there has to be growth. Everybody say growth. Before purpose, there has to be growth. In the next eight weeks for this series, what I'm going to be talking about is are the pillars of the Christian life. The basic pillars we have of worship, of community, of discipleship, of um, missions. Right? We're going to be hitting these four pillars up. One week, I will share with you the why we worship. And the next week, I'm going to share with you the how we're going to worship. One week, I'm going to hit up the why we have community. And then... Next week, I'm going to tell you how we have community. Okay? So you don't want to miss either one. It's going to be important. Okay? Um, Our hope is that Jesus Christ becomes your savior of your life, right? And out of his lordship, you live your life to seek to obey him. Okay? Rooted in Christ 2022. I'm, I'm glad you guys are here, right? And today, we're going to talk about worship. Worship. Why we worship? And what is worship? Why we worship, and what is worship? Okay? Why we worship. Let me start here. Uh, open your Bible to Psalm 95. I'm sorry. Open Bible to Psalm 95. I'm going to read this to you guys. Right. right? I'm going to answer why we worship. Psalm 95, verses 1 through 11. Psalm 95, 1 through 11. Alright, check this out. Listen now for the word of God. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, for in his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flocked under His care. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did the day of Massah in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried Me. Though they had seen what I did, for forty years I was angry with that generation. I said, "They are a people whose hearts go astray; they have not known My ways." I declared on oath in My anger, "They should never enter My rest." Why we should worship, right? We really want to hit the heart of the Christian pillars here. And these four things are the, the main missions of TLC. It is worship, it is community, it is discipleship, and it is missions. Why do we worship? Let me, let me start this question of why we worship with a story, okay? So a few years back, my buddy, he called me early in the morning. He called me up, and I was like, he usually never calls. So when he calls, something's up. He picked up the phone. And he says, Tony, I got, I got something to gripe with you about Christians. I'm like, okay, so he's a non-believer. I said, I got something to gripe with you about Christians. I said, What's up, man? What's going on? Tell me. He said, I was at I was at a restaurant last night with a bunch of believers, right? Or Christians. And we were just, you know, having a good time, eating some food, chilling, relaxing, you know, and then we paid our bills. Everything was good. We're gonna have to close out, go home. And then one of the people there, you know, one of the guys there, they they actually knocked over one of the furniture that belonged to the restaurant. And it was a it was a very empty time, and everyone was kind of busy. So guess what happened i said what happened your the whole group got up and just dipped out i said what do you mean it's like they they didn't even wait to talk to the manager saying you know we broke the furniture how can we pay for it or they were so afraid of breaking the furniture that just dipped out right i said did they really do that i said yeah so he looked at me no he called me he said so here's my thing right you're a pastor you're my buddy and christians they have all these great values and morals, and they extol all these great virtues. But when I look at these guys, these girls, that just boned out after, after not even committing a crime. It was an accident. They just boned out. I see them just as selfish, messed up as anybody else, if not more so, right? Tell me why is that? Tell me why, in one hand, all these beliefs sounds amazing, because you, you tell me all the time about them. And yet, on the other hand, I'm looking at the character of the Christian people, and it doesn't kind of match up. What's up with that? And, you know, it broke my heart to hear that, right? Because it's so hard. Sometimes, as a pastor, you you want to just say they're dumb as an answer, right? Because it makes it simpler. But there is an answer for it. And I told him, you want the long one or you want the short one? And he said, give me both. I'm like, all right. So here's a long answer. Theologically, Okay. The Christians have a reason for that. Christians have an answer to why, even though Christians they believe in God, but their lives still look messed up, selfish, prideful, idiotic, and just like everybody else in this world. And the answer is this, right? Or it's, it's, and oftentimes, non-believers, people who don't believe in God, are more virtuous, more moral, more kind, more gentle than most believers are, right? There's an answer for that. And this, in, in our theology and what we believe in the Bible, it says this: We're all made in God's image. The Bible calls that all humanity is made in the image of God. All human beings reflect God. And therefore, we have a certain amount of wisdom because of that. Right? Our theology tells us that in our hearts, in our minds, in our conscience, there's a certain amount of wisdom that reflects God because we're all made in the image of God. Therefore, it's possible for a non believer to live a very virtuous life, to live a very moral life, to live a very kind and gentle life. You guys get me? right because there there is wisdom there's consciousness there's there's heart that tells you that so you can expect people to have a kindness about them to have a morality about them to have a right and wrong aspect about them and on the other hand we also know that christians are filled with sin they're still filled with sin see the misconception is that all of a sudden you become a believer and you you're holy that's not true you're perfect that's not true right christians are still broken Right? Because, why? We still have selfishness. We still have pride. The Christian gospel, let me get through this, okay? The, the Christian gospel is you're not saved because you're better a better person. You're not saved because you're more moral. You're not saved because you're more pulled together. Actually, you're saved, you're not saved unless you actually admit that you're not more moral. When you, when you be actually begin to realize that you're not pulled together, that you don't have it all uh, understood. Uh, Uh, all all figured out you're only saved by the grace of god that he's willing to save that he can save you christians never claim that they are saved because they're better than somebody else you get me right we're not saved because we're better so on one hand christians are definitely filled with selfishness pride immorality all that crazy stuff and on the other hand non-believers because they're made in the image of god you can expect them to do things that are virtuous kind and gentle and he, he looked at me. Of course, he was just like you guys looking at me. You're like, uh, are you trying to get Christians off the hook here for being dumb and stupid? I said, no, 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 no. They're not, they're not off the hook, right? I'm just telling you, I don't, want you to get, I, don't, I don't want you to get a misconception of what it means to be a believer because I think a lot of people have that. This misconception that you have to be somehow perfect, pulled together for you to be called a Christian. This misconception that somehow... As a believer now, you're also also perfect and moral and virtuous in every possible way. That's a misconception. And the Bible understands that. The Bible realizes that. The Bible meets people where they're at in that area. He says, okay, fine. Let's say I get that. But what's the short answer? The short answer is this. The reason why they, they proclaim belief, but their character don't show it. The reason why they proclaim that they believe this, they have the truth, but it does not show up in their character life, the reason is it's probably because they don't have worship in their life. It's because they do not have worship. If you believe something, it's in your head, yes? You believe it. I believe that there is a God. You believe it. You you can mentally, with your mental uh, acumen, declare God is real. I believe in Jesus Christ. I know all of that. But if you know something, right... I also know that if I believe something, it should should also produce itself in my character. It should come out. If I believe something, it should come out in my character, yes? It should should result in my character. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, courage, humility, self-control. Why is it then that beliefs do not result in character change for a lot of people, for a lot of Christians? Why is it that your belief system somehow still keeps you stagnant For where you are when there is no change in your life do you know why because for belief to get into character there must be a bridge and that bridge to bring from belief to character that bridge comes from this picture of worship because you're not just a brain you're emotional you're spiritual there's a will to you you're driven by your heart by your will by your mind by your emotion right there has to be a bridge that connects your belief to your character. If you find yourself, listen, if you find yourself asking, saying these things like, I'm not really growing, I find myself stuck, so-and-so is not changing, they're still selfish, they're still prideful, they're still, still self-centered, they're still all for themselves, the answer usually comes from, I bet you that there's a lack of worship or lack of discipline in their life because... There are Christian processes that is used to drive these truths into your life so that it will change you from the inside out. There are Christian practices, Christian processes like spiritual disciplines, fasting, prayer, journaling, meditation, simplicity, um, Uh, uh, Bible memorization, Bible study These things are meant to be driven deep into your heart Worship deep into your heart So that it will change you from the inside out Think about this When you guys come to Sunday corporate worship What do you think we're creating for you? What kind of space do you think we're creating for you? Imagine this You come here and you say and you proclaim Some of you would say I believe in Jesus I believe in God So we, what do we do? We have music What is that supposed to do? That's supposed to stir your emotions as you sing your beliefs, right? It stirs your emotions as you sing your beliefs. What else are we doing? You're studying your beliefs. We're opening the Bible. We're reading it. We're we're listening to it. We're examining it. We're questioning it. We're treasuring it. We're studying our beliefs. What else are we doing here? We come in corporate worship, right, and we're acting out our beliefs. We do it through communion, we do it through offering we do it through connecting shaking hands saying hi to each other what else are we doing here we're doing it through prayer see the space is created so that you would engage your belief with more than just your mind but with your heart your will and your emotion because that's what brings belief into character you guys get me that's what brings belief. Think about this. We closed our doors for one year in 2020. Think about your Christian life that year. How many of you guys, how many of you guys saw how difficult it was for you? Right? How many, thank you, Dan, for raising your hand, right? Thank you, right? How many of you guys saw how difficult it was for you to bridge your belief with your character? How many of you guys felt stuck that year? Like there was no growth for you that year? How many of you guys felt the dryness in your walk? How many of you guys felt separated from God? How many of you guys felt like there was a distance that you were having with the Lord? How many of you guys just basically threw your hands up and said, you know what? I'm taking a vacation from God for about a year. Well, until we get back to church, I'll figure it out afterwards, right? For belief to become character, there's a bridge. And that bridge, that bridge Between belief and character are the Christian practices that are meant to drive truth into your very heart, your mind, and your will, and your soul, and your body. Practices like corporate worship. Practices like spiritual disciplines, fasting, prayer, simplicity. Practices like Bible study, community life, accountability, discipleship, mission. Practices like these things. See, unless you are engaged in them, unless you are deeply engaged in them, unless you are practicing, and working, there will always be a disconnect between your beliefs and your character. That's why, you know, it broke my heart the most because I, I know my buddy. I love him to death. He's a non-believer. I spent my whole entire life since a believer trying to convince him or share with him the goodness of who God is, the beauty of God. And all those things always gets erased, always gets erased, When he meets believers, when he meets believers whose beliefs and character do not match up. And he's trying to wrap his mind around it. He's trying to understand the process. And I'm trying to give him some theological thing. He's like, okay, maybe he has an answer. Great, you you have a cop-out answer for your answer. But the truth is, I tell him, you know what? The reality of it, and I hate to say it, is that a lot of times most believing, professing Christians, people, they have a lot of belief, but it doesn't translate into their character because there is lack of a bridge for that. The lack of the desires. You tell me, P.T., I believe in Jesus. Yeah, but you don't even show up to church to worship regularly. P.T., I believe in Jesus, but you barely even show up to a small group or less invested in one. I believe in Jesus. When was the last time you actually prayed? When we create a time for you to pray, you don't even come up to it. I believe in Jesus. Yeah, you believe in Jesus, and yet your life has not changed. Why? Because I've met in the Christian life. I have known brothers and sisters whose life changed dramatically because they have met the Lord. Changed for the good of their family, for the good of their society, for the good of their city, their work. I have seen lives be transformed left and right because of Jesus in their life, but I've also seen believers who just skate on by they just go through the motion they just profess and yet there's no change in their hearts why because there's a lack of worship and the christian practices that drive these realities and these beauties into the life of believer let me give an example of this what i mean okay because listen you may profess that you're a believer and yet, if there is no change, let me tell you the truth. The best you can have is inconsistency in your life. Once in a while, God pops up like, "Woohoo, Jesus. And you're like, you do something cute, right? At best, inconsistent. At worst, hypocrite. Maybe even the illustration here. Imagine you're building, imagine you're building a road. You're building a road. You're constructing a road. And before you is a huge slab of rock that you have to get through in order to continue this road right? What's the best way to get through the rock? People say, blow it up. Yeah, you can blow it up. But you know, you, if you place a bunch of uh, TNT in front of a rock, a big rock, and you light it up, you know what would happen? You would, you would probably scratch the surface. You would probably break the face of it, and you probably, but you still have the whole rock there still blocking you, right? Do you know how people do it when, they, when they're building roads? What do they do? They, they drill a hole into the rock. They drill multiple holes into the rock. And then what do they do? They put the TNT into those rocks, And then they light it up. Because when that happens, then the rock explodes from the inside out and an actual room for direction and changes to be made. Unless you have the practice of worship, community, discipleship, accountability, mission, fasting, meditation, simplicity, prayer, you're not going to drive these beautiful truths of what the Word of God is saying about humanity and what you can achieve and what you're meant to be into your life. Why do we worship? Why do we worship? Because it is the bridge from belief into character. You can profess belief all you like with your mouth, but if there's no change in your life, your belief will leave you at best inconsistent and at worst hypocrite. But for change to happen, for change to occur, there must be a deeply... Deep conviction for the Christian practices and Christian processes within your life. Practices and processes like worship. So let me talk about worship. What is worship? What is worship? I'll give you a working definition and then we'll go through the p- passage to look at it. What is worship? You guys understand the why? The why is the bridge. The reason why we worship because it bridges between your belief to your character. Right. But let me tell you this. What is defin- What is worship? Worship is ascribing ultimate value to an object and engaging your mind, your heart, and your will as you do it. Worship is ascribing an ultimate value to something and you engage your mind, your heart, and your will as you ascribe ultimate value. Using your entire person, your entire life to ascribe ultimate value to an object. That's what worship definition is, right? Worship comes from the old English word worth, worth, uh, worth shape. Worth shape. It means you are shaped by something you deem of worth. Your life is shaped by something you deem of worth. Now look at the Bible here. Okay? Look at what he says about worship. It, worship is meant to engage the whole person. Psalm 95 is one of the best passages when it talks about worship. It engages the whole person. Look at verse 1 and 2. It says, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. What's verse 1 and 2 talking about? About worship. It engages the whole person. What is, this, what is the first thing that's engaging here? It's engaging worship with emotion. You're commanded to worship with emotion. Emotion. It tells us to sing. It tells us to shout. It tells us to extol him with thanksgiving, with music and song. It is meant to engage you in an emotional way. Worship requires an emotional connection. Because you cannot worship if you don't worship with your whole being. And part of your being requires your emotions to be connected to it. Look at verse 6 and 7. What does this say here? Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the flock under his care. What is it saying? It's saying let us bow down. Let us kneel. What What does that action do? When you take a knee, when you bow to something, you're basically submitting your will to that. You're submitting your conscious will to it. The psalmist here is telling us that worship engages the whole person. Engages your emotions it engages your will. You're commanded to worship with the submission of your will. Change your life to give your life to whatever, whoever it is that you are giving worship to. In this case, it is our God. Look at verse eleven seven. It says what? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in Meribah. This is a, uh, a reminder of to the people what you did back in the days when you were in the desert with, with Moses. As you did in the day of Mass in the desert. When your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did, it's telling you what to listen. Worship tells you to listen carefully. Commanded to worship in the mind, it engages the understanding of the mind on listening and taking it in and understanding it. So let me tell you, worship. There's two. Def- there's a definition. It is ascribing ultimate value to an object with everything about you. And here, what we see in the psalm is what. He is telling you to engage everything. Sing, shout, use your emotion, right? Submit, kneel, submit your will, give glory, right? Give your life, change your life. He's telling us to do what? Worship with the mind, listen carefully. Take it in, understand it. That's what it means to worship. Now, it has to be all three, by the way. It has to be all three. If it's not, you're not worshiping, okay? Let me give you an example. If you believe that there's... If you believe, but there's no emotional connection to your belief, you're not worshiping, because you're not feeling anything. I believe it, but there's no feelings behind it, right? How would you like it if your girlfriend said, I love you, but don't really feel like she loves you, right? How would you like it if your husband said that to you, I love you, but you know that he has no feelings about it? That sucks, right? That's not love. Love. In the same way, if you're worshiping and, you, have, and you, have, you say, I believe Jesus, I believe in you, I believe in God, yeah, I, believe, I believe there's a higher power, I believe there's God up there, but there's no emotion behind there's no connection, you're not worshiping. But here's the thing, if you say you believe and you have an emotional connection, say you, you love to praise, you come and, you know, B leads and, and, and uh, uh, Penguin leads or, or, or uh, Chris leads and you guys are just really into it, the music is touching your heart, the words are sweet and it's, the, the melody is kind, you're, you're feeling it, you have an emotional connection, but you don't listen. You're not listening to the word. You're not taking it in. You're not treasuring it. You're not, paying it. You're not taking it to your mind. You're not understanding it. That's not worship. An emotional connection without a listening ear is not worship. But even, let's say that. Let's say this. Let's say you have a feeling. Let's say you are listening attentively, but then you don't submit. You don't want to obey. You don't want to walk out. You don't want to say, I will do this. You're not worshiping. It has to be all three. You guys get me? Worship is ascribing ultimate value to an object with all of your being, your mind, your heart, your will. So what triggers the emotions? What triggers the listening? What triggers the changing of will? Look at what he says here. So he says, come, verse uh, 1 and 2, come, let us sing, let us shout, let us extol him with music and song. Why? Number, verse 3, this is the word for. This is the preposition. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. Look at verse 7, right? Verse 6 says, come, let us bow down, let us submit, let us kneel. Why? Look at verse 7. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Do you know what the psalmist is doing here? you know what this guy is writing? What he saying? He is saying the reason why your emotions should be triggered The reason why your thoughts should be triggered, the reason why you should bow and kneel is because he is thinking, he is weighing, he is calculating, he is reckoning, he is treasuring, he is seeing the excellency of his God for God is a great God, the great king above all kings. He is remembering of all of the stories and all of the reasons and all of the journeys and all of the greatness of what his God has done. In verse 7, he says, Because he is the shepherd God. He is the one who cares. He is the one who leads. He is the one who walks. He's remembering all of these Old Testament stories, all the Old Testament um, historical moments that God did all these things. He's holding them in. He's treasuring it. He's reckoning with it. He's weighing it. He is thinking about it. And until what? Until there's an explosion of change. Until there's an explosion of an emotion. Until there is a driving of, How can I not? how can I possibly stay the same when belief is mere words and your character does not match that the reason probably is because there is a lack of a bridge of worship you ascribe ultimate value you say it with your lips but you don't deal with your heart your mind or your will right side note you know when, when a, lot of, a lot of brothers they come and they, they, you know they, they deal with um their sexual addiction to pornography, right? One of the exercises I work with them through, right, to kind of rewrite a lot of the things that's caused them to turn to pornography as a way of release, as a way of pleasure, as a way of freedom, right? One of the things, one of the practices I always engage them in is I want you to think. I want you to remember. I want you to reckon the time when the Lord met with you, when he was sweet and beautiful, when it was good, I want you to engage with it, not just as a memory, but let it touch your heart, let it stir the emotions, stir the affections again, and just repeat that to your heart. Because the more your emotions are stirred in that way, the more you rewrite the wires in your brain that stirs your emotion towards your sexual desires. And it works across any addiction, by the way. Right? This year, one of the, one of the, one of the things I'm, I'm going to be praying to do is to start a group among our brothers, even our sisters, if we can, right? just addiction, sexual or any type of addiction, and working through that. And it really begins with this. It begins with worship. When you ascribe ultimate value with your whole being. Let me give you an illustration here for you guys so to uh, kind of bring it home. Imagine a woman receives a, a piece of jewelry from her, uh, her, her dying mom as a kind of a... Inheritance. She got the jury and it's beautiful, it's lovely, you know. And, you know, like all juries, though, what happens? You ladies, you leave it in your little box and you forget about it, right? Because it gets piled up with all the other juries over time. And once in a while, you see it and you're like, oh, that's cute, that's pretty, I remember that, that was from my mom and that was nice. And she did that. But after a while, what happens? Dust starts gathering and, you know, things start shuffling around and moving around. So the jury, it's there, you appreciate it, it's on the stands, but you don't really look at it, you don't even really know anything about it, it's just there. Then one day, let's say this lady, she decided, I'm going to get it appraised. She takes this jewelry, ju- and she brings it to an appraiser. He looks at it, He he does that, you know, he grabs that little, I don't know what those things are called, those microscope with the eye, the one-ball microscope. He puts it on the eye, and he's looking at it, right? And he's examining this jewelry. And as he's examining the jewelry, all of a sudden his breath, got, like he just kind of caught his breath. And, and, and the lady's like, what's going on? And he said, hold up, hold up, let me, let me go back. And he goes back, and he pulls out. This is, I don't know how appraisers do this. They, they get a bigger microscope or something, right? And, they, and he's looking deeper, right? And he, and he starts seeing beads of sweat forming on his forehead. And, you're thinking, and she's thinking, what's going on, right? And he's like, hold up. Let me, let me test some components here. And he's taking out his tools, and he's testing it. He's testing the validity of the, of the, of the diamonds and the sapphire and all these. He's testing all the, the jewelry and the things on it. And he's looking at it, and he's like, and he's, like he's tripping that. He's tripping that because his, his breath is getting belabored. He's like... He's freaking out, and he's like, hold up, hold up, let me go on, let me Google this. He starts Googling it, and he starts researching about it, and he's checking it out, and he begins to realize, O-M-G, right? What I have in my hand is an ancient artifact that is priceless. I've done appraising for 25 years, and this, this jewelry is worth more than everything I've appraised for the past 25 years combined. And he's he knows all this. He's watching this. What do you think he's going to do now? If you guys say steal it, you guys are really evil people. Okay, right? But if if, if you would, he would say. I mean, he's a good person. He said he's going to do what? He's going to evangelize. He's going to tell the lady the good news, right? He's because he's been shook by it. It's, it's it's literally moved him. He goes to this lady and he tells her, "You're stupid. How long have you had this, right?" I don't know, 10 years? You are the most dumb person I've ever met. And yet now you are the richest person I've ever known. Right? Do you know what you have here? What did he do? What changed him from this to a character change? He dove deep into it. He looked carefully at it. He examined it thoroughly. He tested the components. He researched it. And he realized that what he has is priceless. And then he gives it to her and he shows it to her. And she realized what she has is priceless. And she begins to change. And her life begins to go um, haywire. Right? But that's that's exactly what I'm saying. The Bible is saying you may have a firm belief in God. But you're no different than anyone else. Why? Because God is like that jewelry that is left on the table in your life. He's in your life. He's gathering dust. You have no understanding of his value, his worth, his excellency. He has, has never dawned on you. Never taken, you've never taken it down from the center of your life. It has never changed your life. Because why? You have no discipline. You didn't do what the psalmist is doing. You didn't take it and drive it deep into the emotional part of your heart. You didn't drive it deep into the listening part of your mind. You didn't submit and kneel to the truth of who he is. That's what you must do, must learn to do, or else, at best, you will be inconsistent in your Christian life. You know what I mean by inconsistent? It means that once in a while, God shows up, and you, and you give him a little praise, and, and, and you give a little woo-hoo, right? And that's it. And other times... You're no different than anything else. That's the best. And at worst, the Bible says, the Gentiles, they blaspheme my name because of you. Because your belief never transformed into character. Never bridged it. Make no mistake, you guys. We all worship something. We all ascribe ultimate value to something. It's inevitable. Every human being, believer or non-believer, you worship something, whether it's money, whether it's your future, your reputation, your career, your family, your children, your husband, your wife, your relationship, we all ascribe ultimate value to something. We all make that everything about us, our mind, our heart, our will, we, we give everything to it in our worship think about this right in the 10 commandments the lying the cheating the adultery the sexual morality the anger the killing that comes after which what the first four right which is the worship to god right your god do not worship any other gods no idols honor the sabbath right Do not take your lord's name in vain those came first and then these things happen do you know why you would lie you cheat you lie, you cheat, you steal because your worship has been misplaced. You don't believe me? Think about this. Why do you lie? Why do you cheat? You're looking at something besides God and you're going to say to yourself, if, if I don't have that, my life will suck. All right? So think about this. If, if, your, if your work and your career is the most important thing for you, If your money and your relationship is the most important thing for you. The thing he says, if I have this, my life will be great. It will be perfect. Everything will be back to normal. Everything will be on its place. Everything will be right if I have those things. And so what happens? When something comes along and stirs um, that affects it, you do what? You lie. You lie on your taxes. Because money is important. I want every single dime. Right? You lie on your resume. I want this job, whatever it takes to get me into this job. You lie about your relationship, you, put, you make yourself look better on all those, all those um, dating apps than you really are, right? Because if I just have that, everything will be better. You guys, you guys get what I'm saying? It's when you ascribe ultimate value, all of a sudden you find yourself doing that. Can I, can I have a pastor's confession? All right, pastor's confession, all Right. I've been known, I mean, I, I feel guilty about it, but I, I, I have lied, right? I mean, if you guys think I've never lied, it's, you know, I, I thank you for thinking so greatly of your pastor, right? But I have lied, right? I have lied in my life. And I, and I can recall a lot of the moments when I do lie. You know why? And, I, and I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> right? I'm not going to lie to you. When, I, when it happens, I do feel guilty. I do feel guilty. When I, and I, and I go home and I lay down and I think about it, like, why, why did I have to lie about that? Why did I have to kind of twist the truth, right? Why did I have to kind of manipulate the situation like that for? And every single time, every single time, do you know why? You know why? It's because of my reputation. I think to myself, I'm the pastor of a church. I have a certain status, a certain pedigree that... I have to make sure everyone thinks and sees and values. So what if I twist the truth a little bit? What if I bend it a little bit here and there, right. Why is that? Because in those times, my eyes have lost its focus on the worship of my God, and what I ascribe as my ultimate value is my reputation, what people think of me. And in those times, what happens? Lies comes out. Those things happen you guys follow me? Worship is you ascribe ultimate value to something with every part of your being, with your emotions, with your mind, with your will. Everybody worships. Everybody has to find meaning in something. You do, Right? Everybody is looking at something and saying, if I just have that in my life, my life would be so much better. Everybody has that. And the psalmist is saying this here's the problem. Here's the problem. All those things, they're great a career, family, children, relationship, future. Those things are great. But when you make them the ultimate things of your life, do you know what would happen? they demand that you die to keep them. When I say die, I don't mean like physically die, but it's like a belaboring of death, you know? You live your life, you work hours upon hours, you take on these promotions upon promotions, you neglect family, you neglect people, you neglect community, all because why? Because your greatest value in your life is how well you climb whatever ladder, of corporate ladder that you wanna climb. And you negate everybody else, no wonder. Your family's in a sham. No wonder your children do not respect you. No wonder you are isolated from everybody else. We all give our worship, and yet you feel like, oh, I've, I've, I've achieved it. I'm going to feel great. But you yourself don't even realize that it's killing you from the inside out to have it, to hold it. And the most beautiful thing here is this, is that Scripture tells us that only Jesus Christ died to keep us. Everything else demands that we die. We labor and toil night and day to keep it. But only Christ died to keep us. What a beautiful picture. When you are thinking, weighing, calculating, reckoning, treasuring the excellency of God and what he did on the cross to bring you home, if you really think through it, there's an explosion of an emotion, of a wanting to change. Last year, I had this thing. I, I, uh, <clears throat> I started uh, meditating upon eternity. I was like, how long is eternity? I just want to think about that, right? And I, it was really hard for me because I'm like, uh. I, I looked up all these analogies of what eternity looks like. They're pretty good, right? But then I, start, I started imagining what eternity in, not heaven, but what eternity in hell would feel like, right? And I, and I thought to myself, and I read this, uh, this, this sermon by Jonathan Edwards, you know, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Oh man, it was a crazy sermon, right? And as I was reading it, one of the things that, 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 that just kind of spoke, you know what hell is, guys? Hell is not what this, this cultural conception of like burning fire and you're like, you're just constantly burning like wax figures coming off you. That's not what hell is, right? Hell, hell is the continual decline of a life without the presence of God. You guys have ever meet people like that? When things are going great in the early of their lives and as they get older, they get a little more stubborn, more set in their ways, more bitter, more angry at the world, more upset, and then you just, just, they just keep doing this, right? Some people, some people do this trajectory a lot faster. They go like, you know, sometimes they just kind of skip all of the growth process and they just go straight to like the drugs and just kind of hit rock bottom and keep going. What if, listen, What if death is not the end of that trajectory? What if death is just a continuation of that? And you find yourself in eternity, keep going downwards and downwards and downwards. You know what? That's hell. That is a life that is constantly ripping you of any of the grace of God that's in you, any of the humanity that's in you, and it's slowly ripping that away from you. And a million years of that is not even the beginning of the beginning of eternity. Spiraling, over and over and over downwards, the purging of whatever good, beautiful, wonderful that was in your life, taking on all that you left with the shell and the husk of your humanity. That's hell. And when I think of that, that even after a million years, because see, some people would think the hell is just it, some Christians would foolishly believe that once you die, it's it. It's done. It's over. It's not. And if it continues like that for eternity, for millions and... A million years, and that's just the beginning of the beginning, of even the first day of eternity. That's your trajectory. When I meditated on that, when I thought about that, and I thought, oh God, what can save me now? And I gaze upon the cross of Jesus Christ, who, though no reason whatsoever, chooses to love and chooses to save. Not by coming down and demanding, but by coming down and serving and sacrificing and saying, the price you could not pay, I will pay for you. Do you realize you cannot do it without me? And when he thought of that, when they... The thoughts, the reality of that begins to stir. All of a sudden, the explosion of what? I need to change my life. You know why I thought of that? You know why I began to meditate on eternity? Because I realized something. I, I, don't, I feel like I didn't love people as much as I thought I did. Right? I know that's kind of another pastor's confession. I didn't feel like I love people as much as I thought I did. And I thought to myself, why don't I love people as much as I think I did? Right? I do. Why is it that my heart's always questioning their motives? Always questioning what they're really intent on doing? Why is it that my first knee-jerk reaction is to ignore until they figure out their life and then I'll come talk to them? Why is it that, and I kept thinking about that, thinking about that, and I realized I don't love people as much as I do. Because if I realize that this is the trajectory of what's going on, what kind of human being am I to, to, to not say a single word about that to anybody, right? How immoral would that be? And you guys realize this? I'm not saying these things to you because I'm trying to get you guys to get into some sort of weird guilt-ridden fear emotions here. I'm saying this to you because the only thing I have to hold on to for the reality of this is that Jesus Christ, the Bible says, died and came back to life. The real question you have to ask yourself before you start getting into like, you know, I got this question, that question, is to ask that question. Examine that. Examine that truth that you have left on this The table, your side kitchen table that you've gathered dust all these years that you kind of have in the back of your mind, but you never really looked at it, never really examined it, never really tested it, never really researched on it. Examine that. Did he die and did he come back to life? Because if that is the truth, then everything he said in his life here on earth has huge repercussions. You only got two choices. Either you reject it and say, I see it, but I don't want it. I respect that, at least you're being honest. Or you see it and you bow your knees and you say, oh God, with my heart, with my will, and with my mind, I will worship you. Is there a change in your life, Christian? Why do we worship? Why do we worship? We worship belief to character. That's what really changes our hearts, and who is it that changes our hearts? It is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Great God, the Shepherd God. And what we do when we worship, we worship Him with all of our beings: our heart, our mind, and our will. I pray with all my heart, guys, that 2022 we don't stay stagnant in your Christian life. That you don't just sit there and just kind of shrug your shoulder and be like, oh, "Okay, that, well, that's how it's going to be forever." Belief changes the character. Now, here's the thing about TLC. You guys know this about me as your pastor. I don't care how slow the change is, right? As long as you're moving towards the change. I don't care how long it takes you to get there, but that you are actually move to get there. That you're actually getting into step of walking towards there. Because belief must result in change. And it will result in change when you allow these truths to get deep into your heart, your mind, your your being, to change from the inside out. Yes, follow? Next week I'll talk to you guys about how. How do we worship? How do we worship in church? How do we worship in our personal life? Right? So come out next week for it, you know. But for now, my prayer is that you leave with that mindset. With my lips, I have proclaimed that he is God. But has my heart been changed? Has my actions been changed? Has my mind been changed? Has my will been changed? And what changes that? Worship. Let's bow our heads.